Dialogic Disciple is an invitation to explore discipleship in dialogue with the world as disciples of the Word. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dialogic Disciple podcast. My name is James Johnson and I am here with Nicholas. Hi, hi. Nick, how you doing today? I'm doing well, you know. This is our first podcast back since the new year. And uh, we didn't. We kind of took last week off. Uh, you know, it's, we deserve a break. We've been we've been going, 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 and we didn't even take off the week between Christmas and New Year's. So, nah, we were still pumping them out. I, this uh, uh, this week, I, I had to have a break, man. We yeah. got so busy at the beginning of the year in the business office. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so it's good to see you. Did you have a good good New Year. Everything everything starting off well here in 2021. Better than 2020, I hope. Yeah, 2021 is it, it, it's off, off with a bang. Off with a bang. Okay, <laughs> I guess that's that's what the kids say, or maybe, maybe not. Well, we uh, a lot's happened um, since the last time we met. Wow, boy, we, has it. We uh, you know part of what we do here at this uh, particular podcast, the Dialogic Disciple Podcast, is try to figure out a way to be in discipleship, uh, in dialogue with the world. And uh, a lot's happened in the world since the last time we gathered together. Last time we had conversation, um, we had uh, obviously the election happened way back in November, and uh, President or President-elect Biden was elected. Yeah, but we've got the special position in Georgia of having the special election the, that yeah controls the balance of power in the Senate. And so we had an election here for a couple senators. Uh, last was it last week? Was it only last week? It was just last week. <laughs> it feels like it was two years ago. Yeah, well, it was Tuesday last week, it so was, it's like it's, 10 days. Yeah, okay. All right. Um, so, and and that went, uh, I, I think it it surprised me a little bit the way that it turned out. Or um, I got to say, it surprised me too. Yeah, I, I, I didn't think it would go that way, um, but it that's the way it went. And uh, I don't know as... As the church, I know a lot of a lot of Christians don't have problems or issues with expressing their political ideals. Some Christians, uh, and some Christian traditions, even are very hyper political in the sense of being involved with American politics or whatever politics of whatever country they're in, and whatever time they're in. Um, you know that I am a little bit more of a politics of the kingdom kind of guy. Mm-hmm. But it, when we when we try to enter into a conversation or dialogue with uh, the world, obviously politics is a big part of that. Well, we have never really addressed politics, I don't think, on this particular podcast. But I'm a, I want to just open the floor to see if there's any fruit that can be gathered from a conversation about well, what we could- happened last week. Because the election was only one of the things that happened last week. We could talk about it and then see what's fit to publish after the fact. There we go. There we go. <laughs> and maybe just maybe just publish. We can bleep stuff out too, you know. <laughs> I've got a few thoughts about this, and I'm sure that I'm not the only person that has struggled with with the dynamics of politics and religion. Yeah. Um, my wife and I have had this conversation and we come from a little bit different place on it, but the matter of to what degree your politics should be affected by your religion. Okay. 
So I think that, say more about that. What so, do you mean by that? So I feel like there are I don't know maybe three groups. We'll see how long I talk and how many groups I come up with. Um, there's a group whose politics are entirely determined by their religion, like whatever they believe. They think that has to go 100% into their politics. I think there's a group of people who thinks that religion and politics are antithetical, that they need to be kept completely separately, that whatever you believe religiously shouldn't impact how you govern. Is that separation of church and state kind of language? Is that what you... I I mean, I don't think that's an appropriate use of that phrase, but um, they might be confused and think that. Okay. All right. So, all right. And what's the third group? And then I think that there is a group perhaps in the middle who feels like their religion has to play a role in their politics. Like if you're, if your religious beliefs are important to you, how could it not influence what you think about on some political issues, how you interpret some political issues? Right, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but how do you do that in a way that also allows people the freedom to have their own religious beliefs or their own political belief, you know, if they are of a different religion than you or right. of a different political perspective than you. So, okay. So help me out. So let's run back through those real quick. Give me a quick summary. Give me the, give me the one, one word or one, two or three word definition of all three of those groups. Again, politics and religion should never meet. They should never meet. Politics and religion are intertwined. They are both They're the same a, thing. Your religion is who you are. How yeah. can you not, you know, vote based on that or Some sometimes it's appropriate. Ground. Sometimes it's not. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I think I think honestly uh, that that sums up probably most of uh, most Christian uh, positions toward politics, uh, one way or the other. Um, I can think of different traditions throughout the history of church that meet all those requirements. Where do you think? Uh, let me ask you: Where do you think the the Methodist church is, or where do you think you are? I don't know which one of those you want to answer, even if you want to answer either one. You know, I I don't have a problem saying I can't. I can't separate my political beliefs. I can't keep them from being influenced by my religious beliefs. Right. However you re- interpret your religious beliefs, I think we all do that. Yeah, and I, I think that, so the issue then isn't isn't whether or not, um, obviously, if you're a person of faith, then what you believe is going to affect what you think politically, right? I, I mean, I think that to say otherwise is to be a little dishonest or, or disingenuous about how the human mind and heart work, right? But I guess the question is, and maybe this gets back to one of your other groups, um, can Christians be influenced by their faith and their political positions, but be, I guess, be able to express those convictions that they derive from their faith without using their faith as a as a way to justify it. Like if you were gonna, if you were a senator, and you were gonna try to pass a bill on the on the house on on the floor of the Senate, um, and you you this bill was like, I want to give a million dollars to uh, charity organizations or something, right? I, I don't know. We get some kind of bill that you wanted to do. And you definitely want to do this because you feel like God has called you to do this, or you feel as though God, to be faithful as a Christian, you you need to you need to do this. You couldn't use that as a justification when you're trying to convince other senators to sign on. Or could you? I don't know. I mean... The I, Christian ones, maybe you could. They definitely, there are definitely some who do, right? Um, and that, that's one of the reasons. So, like, as we talk about... Um, um, particularly the way that the, the American government functions, um, 
you were talking about toleration and and embracing other people's beliefs or other people's mm-hmm. religions. And one of the ways that we do that is by trying to make arguments for what trying to make arguments for what we think the government should do without using words uh, that trigger you know faith reactions. So you know. I, so I can I can have the belief in government action for religious reasons, but I can't state religious reasons as the reason for the action. I think some people would say that, right? And I don't know that I agree with that. I think this is actually one of the reasons why Christians can't can't fully serve in political office. I, I've, I've made that clear before. If you, but but uh, <laughs> I get in trouble for saying that sometimes, but. I think one. Uh, let me say it this way. I think one of the the biggest obstacles that Christians who want to serve in political office have is that they have to play that game. They have to play the game of the the laws that I write or the 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 things that I do in government might be motivated by my faith, but I can't expressly use my faith as a reason to uh, support or create a, a bill or a law. Uh, and I certainly couldn't use it to convince others, you know, it, particularly if they're not of the same faith, to to sign on to it. I guess my favorite thing about that that kind of comes out of it is, you know, when we talk about people of faith or Christians in general, um, but then you drill down that Venn diagram of what different Christians believe. Yeah. Um, and certainly there's this area in the center where we all overlap and agree. And then there's lots of issues out on the edges where some overlap and some don't, um, you know, where, where the government trying to do things for the good of people, um, and using faith-based organizations in that process, like at the surface, I'm like, great, you know, right. That could be Northside or that's a lot of agencies that Northside sponsors that are, at their core, you know, Buckhead Christian Ministries. Yeah. You know, it was created, formed, and founded by churches um, to do a ministry to needy people in the community. Yeah, yeah. Um, so at that macro level, great, we can all agree. Let's band together and do what Jesus said. Right. You know? But then do we, do we all agree on on what it means to to serve a particular group within society you know when you talk about those who who don't have homes the homeless or those who are hungry those who uh, uh those who are in need in some way i think even within christian communities you have different understandings of what what it is we need to do to assist those folks right mm-hmm. so um and then that that generally falls into the big divide uh, politically of Republican and Democrat and and liberal and conservative and traditional and progressive and all of these other labels that we like so much. Um, yeah, it's not about the. Uh, I don't think it's about the end so much as it is about the mean. Yeah, the, about the the means the means of of doing. It. I think I think that's right, but I also would say that that that's probably what it should be about because. One of the things I think we learn in scripture is that is that the means are just as important as the end. And 
and ultimately at the end of the day, the end is brought about by Jesus, is brought about by Christ, by God. That's not something that we even really get to do. All we get to do is participate in the means. So how we do the means is all that we are. I mean, that's where our identity is. So that debate, I think, is very important. My my concern and my um, my interest in this topic is is really directed at what what role does the church play as a whole in in this right and and generally i stick to the local church but when you're talking about big political uh movements or big political issues uh obviously the it's hard to just stay within the walls of Northside church or whatever but um you go ahead well and the church is specifically prohibited from lobbying or endorsing any candidate explicitly well if if they want to retain the their tax exempt status right yes so if they would just say you know taxes do what you got to do government we're going to be who we are that that's another option right see and i had a thought this occurred to me the other day and now i've got to go look up the answer to it could you be a church that is a not-for-profit who can give people tax deductible credit for their donations but on the backside say all right we're gonna do what we're gonna do so we just go ahead and pay the taxes yeah i so are you saying that it would trickle down to the actual people who gave to the church as well so yeah if this church came out and said we're we are for ralph nader and we will always be for ralph nader then even people's tithes would no longer be tax deductible is that right that's what you're asking or you know that that's true because i hadn't thought about that well yeah my understanding has always been that if you lost your you would lose your not-for-profit status and that's what makes it tax deductible in the first place right right yeah and so that makes sense you would not be able to give a tax deductible yeah you know just to be clear people who might be listening (laughs) we are not in any way entertaining that we uh So to get back to your your three groups, uh, I, you know, the Catholic Church, which was the first, really the first church of the Christian tradition, they used to be that, that thing you're talking about where everything's together, right? The Catholic Church used to be the only source of power and authority and government in in the, uh, you know, in the Middle Ages, right? That well, was, and that's, uh, we'd call that a theocracy. A theocracy, and, and, indeed. And uh, that that didn't really seem to work very well, that mixing of faith and power Generally, and we can see this in Scripture with even King David and Solomon and everybody else, whenever you mix power and faith together, generally what you get is a corrupt faith and a uh, power-hungry human it being. It doesn't perfect power? It doesn't perfect power. Oh, no. come on. No, it's not, no. it's, it should sanctify power. It shouldn't corrupt faith. You have, uh, you have other traditions like the Mennonites and the, and the uh, Mennonites and the, you know, the Amish who would be mm-hmm. the completely separate, separate ourselves from... Uh, be sectarians basically create our own world and create our own uh, our own view our own way of doing life together so that they um, they're See, not I don't think I think that's another theocracy it, it certainly could be it could be characterized that way but it, it, it's it's more it's more along the terms of we want to separate ourselves from the world altogether not just about politics but about cultural things as well so I'd love to know how the Mennonites in South Georgia handle you know it's, yeah yeah. Like paying their taxes. There's obviously different. Like if you tried to go out and set up your own world, but now you're funding, 
government programs that you don't even want to participate in? Yeah. Do they well, take it that far? No, that's or? a big deal. Yeah, because one of the I know one, some of them uh, won't pay taxes because they know that some of their taxes go toward uh, military, and and they are a very nonviolent uh, pacifist people, and they won't they won't pay taxes that they think um, will be used for bombing some other people. Hmm. Uh, now that doesn't always flown and they get in trouble for it. I mean, it's not, it's not yeah. as though they're allowed to just not pay taxes, but, uh, so that's not one of the things you can just be like, well, I have a sincerely held, yeah, deeply held, you sincere be a religious belief. objector to paying taxes. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know what all the legal ramifications and obligations are. Uh, but I do know that there are groups that have tried that before and have not been successful. Um, <laughs> They still had the IRS and the FBI showing up at their door. Yeah. Um, and then I think most Christians find themselves in that other group that you're talking about, which is like the middle of the road group. Um, and I mean, I don't mean that in a negative sense, but in a sense of like um, almost as if we have we have our world of faith and we have our world of politics and we have our world of this, that and the other. And, and we are just trying to figure out a way to to live a life that that is genuine and authentic to all of them at the same time, or at least allow all of them to inform the things that we do. So we, so we, so one has to put their faith in a box over to the side. So the power doesn't corrupt it. Well, I mean, that's, that's what you would, you know, if you talk to, if you talk to some Christians who have run for office and who have successfully taken office, I think a lot of them would tell you uh, if they're being honest, that, that, the the old, the adage that that power corrupts is is true. I mean, power does corrupt, and if you're going to do th- if you're going to play the game of politics, particularly on a on a national level, uh, then you're playing you're playing with uh, with a power that will absolutely absolutely corrupt um, and just change you. I mean, I mean it, and we all do on certain levels. I mean, it's not this is not a shocking thing. Sin sin is always crouching around the corner to grab us. But when you when you're talking about having power. You know, are you going, so we're talking about the means a a second ago, like, are you going to do everything you possibly can to get something passed or or make something happen in government, even if it means doing it in a way that's dishonest or a way that isn't reflective of, of, you know, our faith? See, I call that chaotic good, James. Yeah. Yes, I probably would. Yeah. And I think a lot of people would. (laughs) I think a lot of people would. Um, You know, I've heard people say one of the reasons why Jimmy Carter was a terrible president was because he was a good Christian. And I don't know how true that is. I don't mm-hmm. know anything. I don't know much about his presidency other than I was born when, you know, during his last year. But uh, he, you know, that I think if that is true or even if it's not, I think that, that that statement does reflect the fact that it is, it may be impossible at the end of the day to remain a faithful Christian and disciple of Jesus Christ and hold a position of power. Um, on, on that level, on that level. And they may be different on local levels or whatever, but we're talking about politics. Um, and, and really it's not politics because politics concerns everything that we do in life. It's more about partisanship and just the battle and the struggle and the games and the, well, it's the deal making. It's the deal making, right? When we were talking about last week and and stuff that went on last week um, with this election, you know, I know I know Christians who are both Democrat and Republican, and I'm not either, but I I 
I've heard arguments from both sides, uh, both sides of that aisle, both sides of the aisle, and 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 uh, from a perspective of faith. And it's it's funny to me. I think what I see, and I'm, I'm gonna throw this to you. I'm gonna tell me what you think. I think that if I were uh, involved in American politics, I think that if I had some interest or if I felt like it was something that was actually valuable, um, I think. I like the Republican idea of of um, being able to retain as much of your own wealth as possible, so that you can then use it to build your church, right? And to and so that good things like you know charities and services and all of these things would flow through the church and would have would then have a faith stamp on them that's very clear. Whereas with the Democrats, it seems as though the Democrats want the government to do the church work like because they they saw a failure in the church right the church wasn't doing the things that the church should be doing and so now democrats or liberals however you want to say it um progressives they they want to do the work of the church but they want to do it under the guise of government so that's what you know they they tax you more than obviously than the the republicans do so they're both again it's about it's about means and ends because i think they're both trying to do the same thing you know trying to 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 get at that end where we're helping people and, and, you know, what government does more than anything is take money up and redistribute money. That's what we do. That's what government does. Right. So I don't know. That's, that's the, that's the distinction I've seen. And then as I've seen other people, and there's obviously we're talking about one particular side of this issue. Like there are other things, morality issues and stuff that come into play as well with, uh, with the two sides and, and the spectrum really in between. Anyway, I don't know. So, so that's, uh, that's, that's, one issue here, and I think with the Democrats uh, taking control of the Senate, and then with the inauguration next week, you have a you have a situation now in the United States where one power has or one one side has uh, a lot more power than than they've had in a while, um, and a lot more power than the other side has. And I don't know. I think that terrifies people. Some they had the Democrats controlled all three branches ten years ago. Yeah, that's how we got Obamacare, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. Things change when yep. when one when one power when one party has all the power. Things you'll, things you'll find out what's in it when it passes. <laughs> that's that's how it works, right? So, as the as the as the Congress was um, was certifying or or putting their stamp of approval on on the election results, we had a little bit of a incident happened there at the was, Capitol. There was an incident. There was a there was a bro in a buffalo helmet not <laughs> wearing a shirt of the house. But like he face was paint, the speaker of the house for a minute. <laughs> marching through the Capitol. Um I I, I think uh, we were we were watching this as it was taking place here at the at the church yeah. and uh and I think one of one of the other people on staff, I won't say his name because I don't I don't want to call anybody out, but one of the people on staff here said that this is the first news shocked. This is as news shocked as they had been since 9-11 just to see something like that happen. Whether I mean, whatever you thought the incident was about and however it turned out, it was quite shocking to see see it in real time. I was fascinated by all the different. Symbols running through that crowd with the flags and the t-shirts and mm-hmm. all the symbols mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, what fascinated you it was just interesting because there were people out there representing things that i didn't even know were a thing 
Like what? Um, one of them was like a flag for a made-up country. That's like an internet. So it's just a made-up internet country. Yeah. And then, of course, the Confederate flags and the Trump yeah. banners and the "Don't Tread on Me" and the yeah, yeah. skulls and guns and it was just a lot of symbols, a lot of symbols, um, and a lot of different extreme, different groups that had this one extreme thing in common, but all yeah. had their own like. We're all coming together because we think the election's been stolen. Right. But they brought a lot of other issues with them. Right, right, yeah. 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 Um, And, yeah, I mean, I think you and I had remarked even before um, the podcast, just watching that footage and seeing, particularly seeing photos after the fact, where there's a Confederate flag going through the United States Capitol. Yeah, that was uh, that was the most shocking image for me. Seeing that, that's something that you know, I, as I said, something that even General Lee couldn't pull off. I just don't. I, and so, uh, what I guess my my question is, when something like that happens, um, obviously you don't expect to see something like that happen here in America. It does. It does demonstrate, I think, just how fragile. Uh, things can be now I don't know that obviously I don't think that we were ever in any kind of real danger of collapsing out of you know the form of government that we have right here some people have taken it really far in that direction but it does show you just how uh, I mean how how fragile you know the forms of government in America uh, not in forms of government in world history can be human forms of government well what about how for whatever reason, how desperate that group of people felt about the way they see the country going. Yeah. Or how they felt about whether they were being hurt or not, or whether they were getting a fair, right. You know, like in their minds, they weren't being heard. And the way to be heard was storm the Capitol and say, this is the people's house. Right. So, so that, that brings up a great question. And I think maybe the only way that I can even think about trying to engage what happened is, is to ask a question, you know, on both sides of this coin, what's a Christian response? Um, when we're talking about, we're trying to think through these things with the lens of faith and, and understand this from a Christian perspective. So I would say like, the question for me is if I felt that way, that the election had been stolen and, and that I wanted to storm the Capitol, right? Maybe not even, uh, not violently, just wanted to nonviolently storm the Capitol and cause chaos and, and upset. You know, that's, I want, that's what I wanted to do. Let's just give, let's just say that for the benefit of the doubt. Let's just say that. Is that a Christian response to do that? Is it a Christian thing? Is this something that Jesus himself would have led the charge for? And on the flip side of that, what then is the Christian response to folks who do this, like to, to seeing this, like, what is it that I'm supposed to do as a Christian now in response to this? Well, I, I think this is a fantastic question because 
Which list of scriptures do you want me to pick from, James? Right. Just pick any of them, man. Just throw them out there. And I, it's, go ahead. Let me tell I mean, you. this is this is what's funny to me. I think that, well, particularly in the tradition I grew up in, you grew up, you learned the song about uh, being in God's army. Yeah. I'm you know? in the Lord's army. Mm, yes, sir. I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. I'm, I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. I may never zoom or the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. And we're going to go out equipped in the full armor of God. Right. But OK, so that that is a song that we had when we were young. And we are in a war against powers and principalities. But you, even that song, which is, by the way, not scriptural, even that song. <laughs> it is for me, James. <laughs> but even so, okay, so even if it was, But though, I'm just saying, there is absolutely. It's a list of things that you're not doing, right? It's not even, it's not even really descriptive of what it right. means to be in the Lord's army, right? So continue. I mean, so. But I'm saying, I think that there is an identity that there is, there are absolutely Christians who feel like where the elements of politics and religion come together, there is a war for people's spirit. Yes. And that there's an element of fighting the good fight. Right. And that is an excellent question that comes up in that children's song is that it's not a physical fight. Right. It's a spiritual fight. Um, but I think that it gets interpreted as a physical fight. Now, that's not to say that don't hear me saying people marching on the Capitol were <laughs> Christian people fighting for their for their yeah for some kind of spiritual spirituality of America right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, although you know that could have been who knows it could have been the motivation for some of them but um, but I feel like that's one end and then the other end you've got the Amish who are pacifist right right and Jesus who was pacifist right I just threw that in there but I mean that's fun to explore. Yeah, we could explore that. Are you telling me then that there, you can definitely understand how doing what marching on the Capitol the way that they did could be seen as a Christian response to the injustices that they felt? Is that no? That is not what I'm saying. That's not what you're saying. Okay. I'm just saying in terms of in in terms of how Christians handle injustice in the world. Yeah. Is the only correct response pacifism. Right, or is there other? Mhm. Well, this gets back to I think this well, this is a great question. Um and really uh bleeds out into so many different af aspects of politics and faith but I think one of the things we have to ask ourselves is um, you know what's the example that we see in Jesus Christ and th and this is this is where we get in trouble too with interpretation of scripture because you're talking about throwing scriptures out and and you're absolutely right right you can find a scripture basically to support anything and so when I say something to the effect of Jesus Christ was a pacifist and not only that it was it was a core principle of his ministry and message like his entire his entire way his entire um ministry message life death resurrection all of it was wrapped up in trying to show that the kingdom of god is nonviolent 
and that that is that is who you're going to be as Christians. Uh, he was he you know I I could I could tell you that, but then you would get other people who would uh, just as um, they would say just as validly would claim that of course Jesus was nonviolent because he was trying to start a spiritual kingdom and not a physical kingdom. But but we are you know as Christians we can use physical resources to uh, to enact those spiritual realities I guess, uh, which I think was what you were hitting at before uh, with these metaphors that we use. Um, being the Lord's army and, and, and so on and so forth. But I don't think that that's true. I don't think that Jesus is just, he's not just establishing a, a spiritual kingdom, some kind of invisible kingdom. He is establishing a very physical and real kingdom on earth. And he's showing us that it's through the power of God and the Holy Spirit rather than through humanity's ability to wage war and control and have power over one another. So it gets back to power. I mean, if I was going to make an argument for it, I would absolutely, you know, go to the Old Testament and say, well, look at all these times God told the Israelites to go wipe out these people yeah. because yeah. the land needed to be cleansed so that they could occupy it. Yeah. And, it, you know, it'd be hard-pressed to argue against that in some sense. Um, although, for the most part, when violence and war and stuff like that happens in the Old Testament, it's because the Israelites have not been faithful. It's because they've turned away or they've done something wrong. And it's used against them and as punishment. And it's used against them as yeah. punishment. Now, that's the vast majority, but that doesn't, t- you know, there are definitely times when God commands people to go, you know, wipe out and wipe out entirely, use violence in, in a very brutal way. Um, but we're also talking about books that were written in a, thousands of years ago in a completely different, different culture. And what that violence uh, meant. Unlike the Gospels. Yeah, well, no. I mean, that's, that's fair. But I will say that the Gospels were written in a culture that became the foundation of the way we think and believe today. So, you know, the Roman world is, is, is the foundation of the Western world. And we live in the Western world. So there's some sense in which you can say that the, even the Christian message, particularly as translated by Paul, uh, makes more sense to us today because it was there at the birth of our way of thinking, right? And and whereas the Hebrew Bible is completely foreign in that sense. And so the ways that violence is used in the in the Old Testament is not it's not a one to one relation, like correlation. It's not a because God was violent in the Old Testament, that means God is violent in the New Testament, or because God is violent in the Old Testament uh, and asked for uh, believers to or his people, his nation, uh, to to fight a war that doesn't correlate to then therefore the church can fight a war one of the one of the big differences between what we see in the old testament and the new testament particularly as it relates to uh war and violence is that god has god has called a people and a nation right in the old testament whereas in the new testament with kicking the door open to the gentiles god has called a church and a church is just a bridge to the kingdom of God. It is not a nation unto itself. Maybe the uh, avenue of violence and war is, is thereby removed and taken away. I can be completely 100% on board with we shouldn't just go bomb somewhere you know i shouldn't walk up to my neighbor and punch him in the face sure and sure take their car like that's right out that yeah all right um i'm not gonna you know 
But when it comes attack a neighboring country, enslave the population, bring them back, and we, you know, we can like, frown on, we definitely call that right. That's out. But, but you wouldn't be against defending America against an invading army, right? If that meant, even if that meant killing, or much less America, my house or, or my house. kids, yeah, or on a small level, ma- micro and mi- macro level. Yeah, right? like my kids go to school and somebody's bullying them, and yeah, I'm gonna tell them, well, Jesus would just take the punch. Yeah. And turn the other cheek. Well, you know, part of the problem with that, I, I can see this. I can see the issue there, right? And that makes sense. Uh, and I think a lot of Christians would agree with you. But let me let me throw something else out there. Part of what you have just presented, and I think the way that most that we think about this is so uh, it's so um, it's so diametrically opposed there's such a there's such a dualism here right it's either we bomb and kill or it's we lay down and die or it's either the bully gets to punch me and i take the punch or it's i punch the bully back right there's such a spectrum of other behaviors and activities that can happen in between those two uh extremes that maybe maybe there's an alternative way of being faithful without just being a doormat hmm so, and I think a great example of this would be some of the civil disobedience stuff that we see expressed in, in Martin Luther King Jr. Um, some of uh, some of the even some of the things that Jesus himself said when he says um, famously in Matthew chapter five when he says if somebody strikes you on on the right cheek turn to him the left also or the left cheek turn to the right also I can't remember but if you turn the other cheek um, part of part of that. Uh, part of what he's saying there is is you are you're exposing um, you're exposing the violence that the other person is using against you there it's supposed to be a way of embarrassing them and and making them um, do something that they probably don't want to do and when he talks about suing for your cloak and giving them you know giving them your shirt as well like totally undressing in front of them and and you know in, in exposing them to that kind of shame and Walking the extra mile is is a, is a direct reference to um, to the Romans, the Roman centurions, right? The Roman soldiers who could grab any regular person who wasn't a Roman citizen and make them walk a mile with all of their gear, but they were not allowed under penalty. They were not allowed to ask anybody to do more than a mile. So by walking the extra mile, you're actually exposing the Roman soldier to punishment and discipline. So that's a way of taking the violence as being done to you and then using it to expose the violence and to actually expose the person who's who is being violent towards you. Um, there's all there's a lot of different ways to read all that mm-hmm. stuff and interpret that stuff. But the whole point being that that maybe there's alternative ways of of being faithful that don't necessarily lead to violence or to being a doormat. Right. I mean. I don't know if it works. I don't know if it works on the national level. Like, I don't know how you would, I don't know what the alternative to stopping an invading army is. Um, invading army, nothing. Did you see Bachelor, The Bachelor last night? <laughs> they got a woman on there that just crazy. And she's trying to start some mess. Yeah. And I'd like to see you expose her stuff. She's still coming for blood. We need a, we need to do a Bachelor moment, like a, a moment with The Bachelor or Bachelorette with Nick. Uh, on this podcast <laughs> so you can keep us updated i watch garbage tv well who doesn't
Anything else from, I mean, what what else is on your mind regarding that issue? Watching that happen and thinking, that's not good. That's yeah. not the way, that's not the country I want to live in. Right. I don't want to live in a country where we're going to decide things based on who's got the most guns. Yeah. You know, like if it really did come down, you know, I do feel concerned that this maybe exposes a bigger issue than I actually believed was there. What do you mean? Um, that there are enough people in the country that are like, you know what? This has been a great experiment, but maybe we need to yeah, start over in some ways. Yeah. And that they would be willing to go to like another civil war to do that. Yeah. that I mean, that's because if you think about it, I mean, it gets scary to start thinking about it for too long, but you, you get to think for every person who showed up there in Washington, D.C., there's a thousand. How many people at home? home that, that feel exactly the same way or would have done mm-hmm. it if they could have, right? Um, yeah. And, this no, is, and again, that's... this is not a shocking thing to have happened if you, you know, paid attention at all to the history of humanity, right? These things happen. Uh, and I think sometimes we take, we take um, the democracy and the republic that we've that you and I have enjoyed relatively in peace, right? When we haven't had a major war, war that that has been a threatening war, we've to a large part taken for granted that this is just the way it's going to be, right? That we live in this this country that has this form of government, and yeah, we may not get along with each other once in a while, I and mean, we may disagree uh, vehemently on things, but we're going to get along with each other. We're going to vote people in and, and vote people out and, and they're going to, you know, do their political stuff and, and we're going to move forward in the, in this Republic. I mean, I think the problem is that the rhetoric from both extremes has gotten so loud and so polarizing that there is no conversation in the middle to negotiate accomplishing a goal with a means that both partisan groups can agree on we're stuck arguing over the stuff at the ends and can't get anything done in the middle i mean it it just i feel called as part of being a christian to be interested in where other people are and understanding why they believe what they believe you know i we've had a conversation before about kind of how we all live in a bubble and by a bubble, I mean, we're moving in kind of the same groups of people all the time. Yeah. You know, we go to school with the kind of a group of people. We go to right. work with a group of people. We go to church with a group of people. We live in a neighborhood with a bunch of people who are of the same socioeconomic status as we are. Um, and you you get in this world where it would be really easy to forget how differently other people live. Um. And I guess part of watching that capital thing happen was, oh my gosh, there's a group of people in the world that are so convicted about the way they see the world that they just stormed that capital. Yeah. And that's not a group of people that I know. Right. Yeah. I'm the same way. And so. It's so hard to imagine. Like, I don't know what would have to happen. Well, I mean, same thing for me, like a group of people who believe that the election was stolen. Well, based on everybody I know, it was pretty clear to me Biden was going to win. <laughs> like, so. so you were <laughs> you weren't surprised. But even if even if I thought the election had been stolen, I don't think that I would storm the Capitol. I, I don't know that I would be part of that. But, you know, another part of this is a mob mentality piece, too, that sure you, you get, get amped you get up, fired up 
at a at a rally, at a concert, at a at a sports a event. Football game, and, you yeah. know, you'll do things that you don't normally find yourself doing. How many times? How many people have rushed the field after okay. a game? A torn down a goalpost. Like James. you would never do that in a real situation. In a real okay, life situation. Okay, so believe it or not, I was kind of thinking about this as we were watching the storming of the Capitol. It made me think, oh my gosh, this is how my parents felt when I ended up on the field in Athens after UGA in Tennessee and UGA won and the students flooded over the hedges onto the field and carried off the goalpost. Yeah. Okay. And it was like this sacred space was violated. Right. And. And vandalized. I mean, not just violated, but. yeah. Yeah. But at the same time. There was no way if you were in the student section of those stands, you weren't going on that field because yeah. you were going to be crushed if you didn't move. Yeah. Um, That's an interesting parallel. Um, I've never been in that situation, but, you know, I've seen it happen, obviously, many times on television, and uh, you've actually experienced it. Oh, it was nuts. Yeah. <laughs> But how much freshman at Georgia? And that's a great there I am on the field. Oh, and you're a freshman too. And dad was not happy. It, how much like if you if you can think back to that, like how much free will do you think you're you're exercising at that particular moment? How many free decisions are you making? Are you just kind of going with the spirit of the crowd in that moment? Did you have a moment where See, you feel like you made a decision? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you chose wrong, son. Well, I mean, maybe so, but you made a decision. <laughs> no, right. Okay. Okay. I mean, right. but yeah, I could have just gotten trampled. Yeah. I could have selected trampling. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, maybe could have fought my way upstream. And that's it. Yeah, yeah. Um, But you went with the crowd. But I mean, isn't that what it would mean to be like if I was. I mean, how many decisions do we face where if we were really convicted, like if I was really, really, really living out what I believe, I would have done something differently. Well, so here's the thing. Like, so we were talking about um, spiritual warfare a few minutes ago and, uh, Paul does say that that our our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against power and principalities, right? Mm-hmm. By which he means it's it's about these kind of spiritual forces that are either working for us or working against us. And I think this kind of group crowd mentality thing is one of those forces. Is and it happens in a positive way and in a negative way. Like you can't walk into a Georgia football game in a stadium, like whenever people are allowed to do that again, and not be caught up in the spirit of that of that event like there's something bigger than you happening and you can feel mm-hmm. it you can feel it right uh you just have you, you ever go, been to a game in athens i've been to one in Ole Miss, so Ole Miss? i gotta okay. get the same it's not quite the same obviously you guys are crazy here but well, I mean, you I mean, can't walk similar. through the grove like you walk through the grove at Ole Miss, you get the same feel but like you uh I mean, I know you're more of an NFL guy. So. Yeah, I don't. Minor league football is not really my thing. Right. But um, but I've been to several NFL games, and it's the same thing, right? Uh, maybe not here in Atlanta, but in other places, yeah, right? Uh, but I've been to concerts, and I've been to, you know, when you go to a, a church service, that you can feel the same kind of spirit. Like, there's a, there is something that happens to us as human beings when we all get together that unifies us in this spirit. Mm-hmm. And that spirit can be a happy and good spirit. 
or it can go, it can become dark and violent and it can become something that, that causes us to do things that we would never do in, on our own by ourselves, you know? And I think you could look at, uh, you can look at a lot of the stuff that's happened over the past year with, with riots and with the storming of the Capitol. And you can see that like individually, like there may be people who obviously are, are crazy enough to do stuff like this, but in the caught up in the moment, in that spirit of the group, because the spirit of the group wasn't pointed in the right direction or wasn't being fed in a healthy way that, uh, that they, that it directed them. I mean, there there was definitely a force at play there, and I don't know how to talk about stuff like that because we're talking about forces unseen that 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 do have a influence and power and control. Well, James, I gotta say, you definitely are onto something here because I have never sung "Friends in Low Places" by myself in a restaurant, <laughs> but you have sung it with me <laughs> in a restaurant. And where were we? Lee, Virginia? I don't even remember. Yeah, I think it was Virginia. Yeah, mission trips, man. Yeah, if you haven't been on a mission trip with uh, Nick and I, you should definitely come sometime. We have a good time. Seeing what happened, it it really does make me feel like part of my obligation is to make sure that I'm engaging other people and asking, understanding why you believe what you believe. Like what experiences were formative in your life yeah. that it that informed your religion or your politics. I, I'm glad that you said that because I think this is actually I think that actually hits on what might be the most important lesson to learn from what we saw. Um, one of the reasons why I like this podcast so much and, and why I enjoy you as a friend is because you and I have, have some pretty different beliefs on certain things, but we sit down and talk to one another and we, we figure out a way to be friends even when we disagree on something. Right. I mean, we don't, we don't have, um, I mean, we're just not carbon copies of each other. Right. We, we do disagree on some pretty big things. Mm-hmm. What I, and I, what I see, I and mean, the reason why I'm such a, a uh, big proponent of dialogue and conversation, even when it's in the form of debate, is is that that's how people grow, not just individually, but as groups. That's how people become closer to one another. That's how friendships are formed. That's how churches are are grown. And what I see in the rhetoric on TV, whenever I'm watching whatever, I don't watch that much TV, but when I turn it on, uh, and I hear it on the radio when I'm driving home, is this. Uh, Republican versus Democrat kind of or or liberal versus conservative or whatever Bob versus Sue kind of mentality where I'm right and you're wrong and I'm going to fight you on this until we literally have broken the relationship so far that reconciliation is impossible compromise is out the window and now we're going to fight one another and that kind of vitriol and then divide and division I'm seeing not just on the national level I'm seeing it on the level of of uh, states and the level of cities. I'm seeing it on the level of churches, denominations. I'm seeing it on the level of families, and sometimes I see it at the level of my own mind, <laughs> right? <laughs> Where it's just this kind of this this complete spirit, and that's what I'm going to call it: this force, this spirit that is working to divide and destroy human relationship in any way that it can. It's so much so that it has caused now violence. It has caused violence to break out. I think that's what we see in the in the riots from last summer. That's what we see in some of the um, some of the the fear that causes uh, other people to act violently toward other people. We saw that Wednesday, last Wednesday, with the the Capitol storming. And I, I I'm afraid that we see it in the church as well, or that we're going to see it in the church as well. 
one of the first things that I think about in that of, you know, we're here for dialogue. We need to be open-minded. We want to have conversation. We don't have to agree with each other on every detail of everything. Right. Um, but we can be friends without agreeing on right. every little thing. Certainly. And we can at least worship together. But what I have seen from as an outgrowth of partisanship, just personally, we feel like there has to be some level at which we can no longer compromise because that issue is so core to who we are, what we believe. Yeah that we have to draw a line. We can't continue to compromise to this point. I can, I can see, first of all, I'd ask like, what is that line actually? Like as Christians, like what is the line where we can no longer compromise? Right. But, but before I ask that, let me just say, I I can see how that would be an issue and more of an issue again in the political power arena where we have to figure out a way to pass a law or we have to figure out a way to do this, that, the other but at the end of the day, I mean, I don't know, I don't know, I would say that Jesus Christ, when we look at his life, probably, uh, obviously, didn't get along with most of the people that he came in contact with, uh, particularly toward the end, right? Uh, the, the, his own church and his own state, they both killed him, right? they both wanted him dead. Um, and yet, even so, even though he wasn't willing to compromise what he was preaching and what he was teaching, he also wasn't willing to attack the other. He wasn't willing to, you know, um, uh, just overpower uh, the other with with uh, with ar- even argument. Like even you know, he he certainly spoke his mind, but it's not as though because at, at any point, if we believe what we believe, right? At any point, Christ, as as he says in the Book of John, uh, if my kingdom was of this world then I could call down angels and I would own this place, right? That's one of the mm-hmm. temptations. One of the temptations that he faces from Satan is, you know, why not just take all the kingdoms and then you can force everybody to do what anything you want, right? Right. Even in that moment, uh, Jesus t- chooses the cross over, he chooses to die on the cross rather than to prove himself right. And he leaves it to God to prove him right through the resurrection. And that's not just something that Jesus did for us. That's a model that Jesus asked us to take up, to deny ourselves, take up the cross, and follow him. I think that that we oftentimes think about that as being um, that we should be self-sacrificial, and maybe it is, because, I mean, as Christians, we're asked to empty ourselves of ourselves, which it has to include our opinions and our, our compromises. It has to include everything in order to find space for the other in our life even our enemies like love our enemies right so so i do i don't know i was kind of rambling yeah but i think it's interesting with where you started because your first response was tell me what that thing is that you could absolutely no longer compromise on Mm -hmm. because i am in a place where i'm torn between i've got jesus who says we need to forgive and we need to forgive and we need to forgive yeah and basically what he's done for us is forgive and forgive and forgive. Yeah. Um, but we live in a world that says, no, there are things you can do. You can't be forgiven for. Right. Right. Well, and I think even Jesus would say, um, forgiveness comes with discipline and correction. So uh, there are, I think forgiveness is the end goal and ultimate goal for any transgression that's committed and done, perpetrated, even the worst, even the worst, because uh, 
that is that is the goal to where we're trying to get to. Um, but that doesn't mean you completely just let go of what happened, right? I mean, what I mean is that there are consequences to actions in this world. And um, even if you receive forgiveness, um, it doesn't mean that you don't have to pay a penalty, right? Or have a, have a punishment. Or I guess be corrected is, is the way I like to say it because I want to talk about people... We're all broken and fallen people. None of us do anything. You know, none of us are born wanting to do terrible things. We we are taught that by the world that we live in. I don't know that Jesus would be an approved therapist by the American Psychological Association or whatever. Like I I think your point does does highlight one of the big differences that that's been kind of a thread that's been running through this entire conversation, which is everything the world tells us even the good stuff is all dependent on a couple of things. Like number one, holding on to your dignity, holding on to your life, holding on to these things that are core values and important. Whereas Jesus would say, none of that stuff matters. Like your dignity, your life, like that's not the end goal. That's not the most important thing. Don't you believe in the resurrection? Don't you believe that God is going to glorify you? Like what, what is it when we hold on to those other things, we're holding mm-hmm. on to fear. We're, we're basically expressing disbelief in Jesus Christ. What's the most important thing? When people look at us, they should see Jesus. That's our goal. That's our mission. And if we are always defending ourselves and fighting for our own dignity and trying to survive and trying to fight for our own lives, we're not reflecting Christ. We're reflecting ourselves. And that's, that's what we're going to do because we are human, but that's, that's what we're trying to be transformed out of. That's a hard message to hear, I think, for a lot of Christians. Um, and it's not something that is obviously easy to do, and nobody can do it on their own. And it takes a church to do something like that. But the world, the, when you get down to what's actually motivating the actions, what's motivating the things that the world teaches us versus what motivates what God is teaching us, it comes down to we're either dead to ourselves or we're not dead to ourselves. You're either trying to survive and thrive or you're trying to be faithful. And you can't. Sometimes you can't do both. That's a lot. But it's a good word. So that, that was a pretty heavy conversation, Nick. And uh, I want to pivot away from, from uh, some of that and, and talk to you about a TV show. On yeah, let's Nef- do a on Netflix. pop culture segment. Let's do a little pop culture. Let's do a little dialogue with pop culture. So uh, I watched The Queen's Gambit. Uh, on Netflix, which I, I you told me recently that you just completed. Yes, I and also. I thought Gambit. it was. Uh, I thought it was fascinating and fun. Uh, what did you think of the show? I was not interested in it in the first episode. Okay, I was a little bit like, oh, is this going to be sad? It's I'm going to be sad because she was in an orphanage. Yeah, I guess we should say spoilers. Spoiler alert for spoiler. Queen Gambit. We'll, we won't try not to uh, spoil the end of it or anything. Yeah, but, but the way that it ended. I felt like um, we got to see a lot of growth in her from character? the main character. Okay. Yeah. Um, and how she adapted to her life situations. And she, she really made some strides towards maturity. So for those of you who haven't seen it, the show is, uh, without spoiling anything, the show is about uh, uh, basically a, a, an orphan girl who uh turns out to be a chess savant 
uh, and and is taught how, how to play chess by the janitor at her all girls boarding school or, or orphanage. orphanage orphanage I should say yeah orphanage. Uh, and then when she's adopted, she starts getting into some chess tournaments and is just like a phenomenon. She is a savant. Mm-hmm. She is the best chess player in all of America, right? It seems like. And it is not based on a true story, not but it all. takes some elements of different chess yeah. players. Got a lot of Bob Fisher in there. I felt a lot of. Lot yeah, of yeah. Fisher. It kind of kind of weaves them together. And so the whole the whole show is just about her her rise and and then her her struggle her struggle with herself and and some of her um some of her shadows of the past that come back to her um and addiction and things like that but um you know can she i think one of the main questions of the show is can she be uh can she be the greatest chess player ever and remain sane is that something that's possible Mm -hmm. right um so here's here's what i thought about the show in the sense of this because here's the problem i had with the show early on um, and I hope this doesn't spoil anything, but um, you know what? I think we just put a big old spoiler yeah, alert on this yeah, thing. Fine. Yeah. So and if, here's if yeah if you if you haven't seen it, just go ahead and shut so us off. So we're talking about it. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for thanks for tuning in this week, and we'll see you later. If you if you want to stick around for this, it's great. Now, what I what I didn't like about the show at first is that she she in, encountered no struggle, even when she's in the orphanage. Like you were saying, like oh I don't want this to be sad. I totally expect that. I expect her to be picked on by the other girls. What has happened? She like makes the best friend she's ever had in the mm-hmm. orphanage. The the janitor, I expect him to be creepy and not be all above board. It turns out he's like a father figure to her, right? She gets out into the world and starts playing chess, and she beats everybody that she plays. Basically, mm-hmm. she doesn't have any competition. She doesn't have. She doesn't even face what in this all takes place in the '60s. She doesn't even face what would have, would have been real struggles in that time period, which would have been sexism, right? She's she's a woman who is really good at something that only men do, generally when that happens, that person gets at least some kind of, of uh, rejection, right, for, you know, and, and all kinds of names or whatever else. But she goes up against men and women alike, and she kills everybody. I mean, she beats everybody, and she just she's just so much better than anybody else. And she does have a couple hiccups here and there as she begins to struggle with her addictions, but even when she's going through her addictions, it's not it doesn't it's not like she's actually struggling that much. She looks like perfectly put together when she's having a meltdown. And so there's some things like that that I would say uh, gave me gave me pause. Uh, just the fact that I found it hard to find struggle in the character. And so character development is hard to do and storytelling is hard to do. See, that is I'm I'm interested that that's your take on it. Yeah. So it, uh, Because what do you think? To have lived through your mother killing herself. Yeah. To have been abandoned by a father. Yeah. To realize that your mother was insane. Yeah. Like literally. And wondering if Just crazy, but also a genius. So you've seen your mother do the genius that can't manage the genius. Go into an orphanage. They uh, get you addicted to... Some kind Blue of pills, green mood, pills, yeah. Some, some kind, kind of, of yeah, 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 yeah. Um, she's very, she was awkward. Yeah, it, but it wasn't. I will say the orphanage experience. It wasn't like abusive or anything. She was Not never in an abusive situation. Not at all. But she then forms a bond with a new mother when she's adopted. Yeah, and that woman. She's also crazy. dies. She's crazy and, and dies. And had her own 
on her addiction own issues. issues. But she had an actual bond, and that woman actually loved her, though. You know, that was an actual. Yeah, but she also mother. watched another man walk out. Yeah. Which, what is your then ability to be in a relationship with a man so, when you've seen multiple men just leave? So your so your argument then is that her struggle, her real struggle, it was all psychological, basically. Yeah. It was happening internally, which is why the chess, which is a and the drugs and the oh, the drugs, but that but she took the drugs to get a psychological to a psychological state. Like at first she was using them uh, to to play chess, like she couldn't play without them. Mm-hmm. Remember, and so, um, okay. But then at the end, right at the end, like every single boyfriend and friend she's ever had comes together to try to help her out, you know, and that's not very realistic. Like, so I don't know then, if you've whoa, ever you haven't been in right. many relationships that have not uh, so worked this is out. The problem. But let me this tell you that problem. generally speaking, we're so calloused by modern media <laughs> that we expect it's got to be depressing. And I will say, I was expecting that. And I was really happy. <laughs> it, it, ended like a, it ended like a Disney movie where it's like, look, the only drug you need is friendship. But <laughs> well, you know what? I was and watching community. it and thinking of you the whole time because you're know, all the time. Community, that, community, community. Right. No, Why was, are the Russians so good? Because they play together. Yep. And how did no, she end right. up winning? You're because right. they were they playing together. together. Yep. And it overcame the, the individualism that she. So the whole thing was Absolutely. like, look, communism is great. Absolutely. Well, OK. Look, and I'm. <laughs> I'm uh, <laughs> I just slid I that I don't in know there. if I'd go that far. <laughs> but uh, I, you know, uh, I mean, I think maybe you're right, and maybe maybe the issue maybe the issue is that she, her psychological struggles and 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 her tendency to kind of draw within herself, needed to be overcome, right? And so the community and friendship is the way that you do that, and that's true for all of us. That's a great. That's a good mm-hmm. lesson. That's a good lesson. I'm just saying. Uh, the the pass that I'll give it because of the lack of conflict in this sense that I'm talking about is maybe it's trying to project this kind of fantastical world where sexism doesn't exist as a way of trying to present a utopia that we can strive for, right? Uh, the way watch, things should have been rather than the way they actually were. Did you watch Bridgerton? No, I'm not. I've watched about 90 seconds of that. And it made me want to watch Pride and Prejudice, so I just put that on. Okay. <laughs> So similarly, Bridgerton features the it's it's set in London in like the early 1800s, right? And they're supposed to be like it's very diverse, all the fancy people at court, but the queen is black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and several like of Hamilton. the other nobility I mean, like Hamilton, are right. I mean, like yeah, it's a retelling. Yeah, yeah, it's like an alternate history, and and maybe that's what this is. And maybe that's what this is. And I, I'll give it a pass. Look, I liked the show. I enjoyed it. We'll see, but that opens up a whole can of worms for me. How much value is there in retelling it the way we hoped it, the way we want it to be now, well, versus facing the realities of it? You're right. You're right. Like you don't want to. You don't want. You don't want to say that these things don't exist. The only way to overcome these things is to be truthful and confessional about them. At the same time, there is some value in presenting the world the way you think it should be as a way of kind of inspiring. I mean, is how many like girls art have, imitates life or life? Kind of. I mean, setting out a utopia. You know, there's a philosopher named Paul Ricoeur who was big into utopias, and he said the value of utopias are that they show us the way that we think the world should be, and that tells us a lot about how we think it is now. Oh. And if you read scripture, you know, the, Isaiah chapter two, which is my favorite passage. I have a little painting of it right there. Like my favorite passage, the entire entirety of the Bible probably is a utopic vision of what the kingdom of God is going to be like. Mm-hmm. 
And it tells me, it tells, it directs me and my action now, not just as a kind of hopeful, whimsical fantasy, but as a direction that I should be headed in. So you could say maybe, and this is this is maybe putting a little bit too much weight into it, but you could say that Queen's Gambit is exactly is doing something like that, presenting a world the way that it should be rather than the way that it actually is. And in doing so, it's inspiring. I mean, think about all the little girls that are playing chess. How you and I need to play chess. Yeah. I want to order some chess pieces now. Yeah, I remember go. learning how to play as a kid, yeah. but I haven't played in forever. I actually bought Bobby. Bobby Fisher teaches you chess. Chess. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, I'm into it, man. Um, but yeah, so anyway, I, it was a good show though, like visually stunning. And, and mm-hmm. I love that time period is my favorite time period in American it history. It really was. It does seem so cool. Yeah. yeah the, the whole, 60s, like, like the fashion and the cars and the music and the, everything like, good in the sixties. man. that's the best, that is the best decade of American pop culture ever. So one other element of that that I was that I was wondering if you would want to talk about that I thought was interesting yeah. was um, one of the ways that she was going to fund her trip to Russia was oh, yeah, through yeah, 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 a yeah. Christian Christian missionary organization. I was, yeah, I was thinking about that. It was we were talking earlier. Um, yeah, well, what do you think about that? Well, first of all, I got to say I'm super proud of her for not just taking the money. Yeah, even though she didn't agree with it. Right. Like the fact that she said, you know what? She had integrity. Yes. Right. And ironically, they had less integrity because they were trying to get her to yeah. represent well, Christ. Well, we've or written this check. Yeah, yeah, right? They were trying to push her, but they were also like, you know, this isn't just about chess. We're not just supporting the chess. We also want you to, you know, say these words and give her words to say. And But yeah, I thought that was super interesting to yeah. see that Christian organization come in and yeah. essentially try to extort somebody into... That is not the kind of Christian I want to be, and particularly yeah. at a church like Northside with yeah. the resources that we have. Yeah. I'm not interested in telling anybody, like, well, if you'll just stand in this water right here, I'll write right. you a you know. Yeah. All right. Well, Nick, this was a great conversation, kind of all over the place today, but that's all right. Um, happy New Year, man. Thank you. Thank you. Do I'm you looking forward any, to 2021. Any final word for I people? Made a, I made a resolution. I'm back in the gym. Are you? Yeah. I will I will be praying for you. But I yeah, took a I, I took a year out. off. Right. And man do I hurt right now. Well let's hope that twenty twenty one is gonna be a, a good year for Northside and, and for our people. So everybody thanks for joining us and we'll uh we'll see you next week. Peace. Peace.